We'll uh, wrap up our conversations. You can find your seats. Love to see this room filled with joy. As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to be in Mark 14. And before we jump in, I want to, I just want to connect a few dots um, that I'm sure maybe are resonating in your heart, but um, that was a special time of corporate worship. Um, when Amanda was singing the seasons changing, um, I'm like, I literally had faith well up in my heart. Like, there was about two years ago when, um, this, this afternoon we're going to, or right after church, we're going to celebrate a meal together. And it's about two years ago where we had, where had our first fellowship around the table planned. And then COVID came into the picture and we had to cancel that. And then to be here uh, a couple of years later and being able to celebrate God's faithfulness um, in the midst of real loss, in the midst of real confusion, in the midst of real chaos that's going on in the world, um, it's... It's a wonderful thing. And the, the scripture from Isaiah 43 came to mind. It says, 43.18 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I think, yeah, this is a new season where God is doing a new thing. And so there's a sense of faith and anticipation, and then I also look around the room, and I know that there's so many that are still experiencing real heartbreak. And we're going to be talking about coming to the table today, but Psalm 23 also declares this real truth that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And so if you are having trouble entering into that joy that we have, just know that there is a feast that God has for you. So... We're going to look at that kind of feast as we're in Mark chapter 14, and I want to begin with uh, just a story from my own life. My family and I, we uh, probably in past seasons, we enjoyed watching the Food Network, especially Zoe here on the front row. She likes when I give her a shout out. So, um, <laughs> so we, uh, we would gather oftentimes on a Sunday evening, and we would watch shows like the next Food Network star and chopped and watch people get all of their crazy ingredients together. And um, we really enjoyed it. And I had a show that in particular was probably my favorite. I don't know if the family liked it, but it was called The Best Thing That I've Ever Eaten or The Best Thing I Ever Ate. Anybody ever seen that show? Yeah, you can kind of imagine the theme, right? So The, the Best Thing I Ever Ate um, is basically a, a food personality going to their favorite restaurant, recounting the story of when they sat down and had the best meal that they've ever eaten. So I've often asked myself the question, what is the best thing I've ever eaten? Maybe you could ask yourself the same question, right? Um, and for me, the answer to that question is undoubtedly, I think it was at the beginning of 2010, my wife and I were uh, at Epcot Center, and we were in France, and there's like a restaurant in France, but it's like on top, it's kind of almost like off the radar a little bit, it's a bistro. We had a four or a five course meal together, and we were able to celebrate together, but what made this meal special was not just the food, which was absolutely amazing, but what made this meal special was the fact that we were at a conference together, 
and we had just come off of a season where we were in a pretty legalistic environment, to be honest, and we really were needing streams in the desert, like I mentioned, and um, someone just came up and began to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and it was like water for our parched souls, and so we were able, um, we were kind of at a point of transition as well, and ultimately it ended up leading us here, but we didn't know what our future held at that moment, but we knew that we wanted grace to be at the center, and then looking back, probably 10, 12 years now, that has been our story. He's been so kind to us. So um, this morning, we're going to look at a meal that changes everything. And we're going to look at the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples and how it is meant to change how we interact with each other. And it's meant to change how we interact with the world. And I want to read a quote from an Austrian philosopher, if you know me. That's probably pretty apropos. His name is Ivan Illich, and he says this. He says, Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a powerful new tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers up bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that even shines some light into the future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. And that's exactly what Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 14, is an alternative story that is meant to change the world. This meal has been celebrated throughout church history, and there's all kinds of thoughts and ideas around it, but at its core, it is a celebration. And so we're going to look at that as we look at Mark chapter 14. We're going to read verses 12 to 25. So if you have your Bibles open and you're able to stand, would you stand with me? And the reason that we stand is just to draw attention to God's Word. His words are the most significant and important that will be spoken here today. So Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread... When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, And there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went out into the city, and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 22. As they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And when they drank of it, he said to them, This is my blood, 
of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, so much we want to enter into this moment in history and to hear your story proclaimed loudly over the details of our lives. We all arrive here in different places and in different frames of mind, but your story has the potential to change everything for us and to heal us in the deepest place that we are. I pray that you would join us together around this wonderful story and this wonderful meal. In Jesus' name, amen. So this section of Scripture absolutely centers in on a meal. It's the last meal that Jesus would share with his disciples, and it is full of tension and drama. I mean, Jesus basically drops the little nugget that one of his disciples is going to betray him. Um, there's also just the, the mystery of where this actual Passover meal is going to be. I mean, Jesus basically just gives them another word of knowledge and says, hey, I want you to go find this guy, and I guess you're going to know who this guy is, and he's going to show you an upper room. And so um, this is... This is actually Jesus' power on full display. But more than that, um, this is a a story and it contains imagery that is meant to instruct our hearts and change our lives. So I want to give you a big idea that we're going to look at this morning. Um, And it is, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave us a meal in story form to celebrate his salvation, to heal our hearts, and to transform the world. He gave us a meal in story form to celebrate his salvation, to heal our hearts, and to transform the world. So what I want us to, to get our minds around this morning is the idea, so I know you, you should have some communion kind of cups around you, and we're going to celebrate this meal together. And oftentimes there are moments of deep reflection when we enter into what is known as communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And that is right, and that is real, and that is appropriate as we reflect on his death. But as we take elements of his story, what took place in the past, what this meal points us towards in the future, what I hope is the resounding response of the people of God is hope. Right? This meal is our hope. This meal is our salvation. This meal is meant to be something that strengthens our hearts and our souls and our relationships together. Um, both, the, both of these celebrations um, help us to come into the presence of God and acknowledge just where we are without pretense. Right? I mean, you don't have to... You don't have to clean yourself up to come to this table, but also that as we partake of this meal together, that we're actually strengthened. So we're going to look at aspects of Jesus' story in a way that looks back. We're going to look at it in a way that looks forward, in a way that applies it in the present. So first, this is a meal that looks back. This meal takes place on Passover during the week-long celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, both of these celebrations marks God's miraculous salvation of His people from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses, most commonly referred to as the Exodus. Now, 
Before we get too far into the specifics, and we're going to unpack this slowly this morning so that we can hear the story of Jesus loud and clear for our lives, I don't want you to miss the fact that we serve a feasting God, right? Um, uh, we don't have time to go into it, but if you look at Leviticus 23, there are entire weeks that God sets apart for his people to throw a party, right? Um, celebration is his idea, you know? Oftentimes we can have ideas of God where he's disappointed or dour or sour, but this is a God that loves to celebrate who he is and his love for his people, and that's exactly what's taking place at the Passover and the Feast of unleavened bread. So celebration is his idea. So although there are times to fast for the people of God, there are also times to celebrate. And this morning is one of those occasions where we are going to celebrate just who God is for us. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a week-long celebration where the people of God were meant to not eat any kind of bread except unleavened bread or bread that was made without yeast or leaven. And this was meant to be a living picture and a living illustration of a couple of things. First of all, um, God delivered his people from Egypt in such a fast and deliberate way that they really didn't have time to grab food for the journey. So they just basically took bread that hadn't been, you know, filled up with yeast and leaven and they took it for the journey and they went because God worked so powerfully. But then on another level, the leaven is something that represents both sin and decay and death. So Jesus would often tell his disciples, I want you to be on guard against the leaven of the Pharisees. And so what the the people of God in the Old Testament would do, they would spend a significant time preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were required to get all of the leaven out of their household. So you can imagine... Now, I don't know exactly (laughs) what Old Testament living conditions were like, but, I mean, I'm picturing not carpet, you know? I'm I'm picturing a dirt floor. I'm picturing if they had cupboards, um, they were supposed to get all of the leaven out. Now, I don't think they had the container store, you know what I'm saying? So, you can imagine yeast, like if you've ever made bread or flour, um, it just tends to get everywhere. And so this idea of kind of removing all of the leaven from your own household would seem like an exercise in futility because leaven was everywhere. And the, the lesson that the people of God were meant to understand is that sin is everywhere. And the, the idea that you could remove it yourself is an impossibility. So Jesus enters into this unleavened bread feast and this Passover, and he begins to say, this unleavened bread, this is my body. This is my sinless, spotless record for you. You could not remove the leaven of sin on your own, but here I am to take that on in and of myself. So Jesus is retelling the story of the Passover and the Exodus in such a way that he points to himself. And what he's saying is, receive my sinless body that is broken for you and take my body and receive all that it is. When Jesus says, take it and eat, he's not just merely saying, hey, I want you to hold out your hands and I want you to put it in your mouth. He's like, I want you to take everything that this meal represents and everything that it's about and I want you to take it into the depths of who you are. 
This is a picture of Jesus' sinless life for his people. Now, maybe you've heard the gospel maybe presented like this, that Jesus comes into the world. We kind of have a, you know, he gives us a blank slate a little bit. You know, you ever heard that illustration? I maybe even have used it here before, where Jesus kind of comes in and he wipes the slate clean, right? Well, what's the problem with that illustration, right? We're going to mess the slate up again, right? The, the, the good news of the gospel and what this bread that's broken for us represents is the fact that we no longer have a slate, that Jesus' slate becomes our slate. His perfection is our perfection. And the way that we relate to God is on the basis of His performance and not our own. Another illustration, I, I recently I got a white sweatshirt, and so um, I really like this white sweatshirt, but... Um, White and I don't get along very well, and so uh, I think it was late at night, and we were having a, a snack, and by we, I meant me, and <laughs> it was like a, a chocolate popsicle, and I had my white sweatshirt on, and, and you know, that's just a recipe for disaster, right? And so, yeah, be- before the end of the night, I looked like a four-year-old, and it, it was amazing, and you know, I had, Jen gets all the stains out of her clothes, and I was like, I'm not sure that this is going to come out. And, but that's a picture oftentimes of how we view the gospel. Like, you know, that, that Jesus maybe is our cosmic dry cleaner. Maybe we get dirty and he cleans us up again. But what the gospel teaches us is the fact that he gives us his robes of righteousness. They are pure. They are spotless. They are undefiled. And they are permanent, right? The righteousness that we receive is ours forever, Right? And that's, that's the good news. So when we're taking this meal together, we're talking about his sinless life that was given in exchange for us so that we possess now the righteousness of God. So this is an invitation for us to celebrate. But also this meal represents the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb. The celebration of the Passover was the celebration of the fact that God used ten plagues in particular to deliver his people in the Old Testament from the nation of Egypt. And the last plague was basically a warning that the angel of death would come throughout the land of Egypt and every house that did not have the blood of a spotless lamb applied to the doorposts in the entryway of each house, they would lose their firstborn son and the firstborn of their cattle. So you can imagine this kind of scene. This is what the disciples would have done in this passage. I mean, they would have had to sacrifice, you know, a, a Passover lamb. Um, you can imagine the Old Testament picture of actually having to put blood on your house, right? I mean, this would make this living illustration something that you would never forget, right? So this is kind of a picture of Jesus becoming our Passover lamb. The good news is that everyone that took refuge under the blood of the lamb was saved. That everyone that finds refuge in what Jesus has done as our Passover lamb, um, it basically means that judgment will pass over our lives. That there is no condemnation. That there is no guilt in life. There is no fear in death, as the great hymn says. And listen, in the Old Testament, it was all about the quality of the sacrifice 
and not about the faith that you actually put in the sacrifice, right? So you can imagine that in that moment when the angel of death was going all throughout the nation of Egypt and you heard screams and loud cries as death was everywhere. I mean, there were going to be certain people that, were, that had the blood on their life and they were hoping that that was true, right? But the, 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 the emphasis here is on the quality of the sacrifice, not the quality of our faith. And it's good news, and that's why we need reminders like a meal, because there are times in our lives, and there probably have been times this morning and times this week, when your faith will falter and fail, right? This is to remind us, and the reason we do this often is to remind us that salvation is outside of us, right? It is about His perfection, it is about His salvation, and it is about His work. So, this was a meal that took several hours to accomplish. So Jesus was taking his disciples through the Passover celebration. And this is going to bring me to my my next point. This is a meal that looks forward to the new exodus and a new creation. This entire meal looks back to Jesus being our Passover lamb, but it also looks forward in the sense that Jesus is the greater Moses that leads the new exodus of God's people, not from physical bondage of slavery, but from the slavery of sin, death, hell, and the grave. Right? This is a meal that looks forward to the salvation of Jesus. Now, at the Passover meal, they would eat bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. So you can imagine, you know, I think they would eat like horseradish or something like that, and it would remind them of just how bitter it was to be enslaved in Egypt. But honestly, like you don't have to look that far in your own story. I mean, that's what sin does, right? It promises life, but it ends up in death. It's always bitter. Jesus came to set his people free from the slavery of sin. And I want you to understand this this morning. This is not theoretical, right? This is not just a metaphor. He actually came to bring freedom and salvation to his people, right? It was for real sins that he came into the world, and it was for our struggles that he came to set us free. Now, he gives us the power of sons and daughters. He allows us to come around the table. He promises to finish the good work that he has started. Theologically speaking, at least according to the book of Romans, instead of being slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. He actually comes in and he gives us a new heart and new power and new affections. And he changes us from the inside out. That's why we can celebrate this story, that the work that he begins, that he will certainly finish in our lives according to the book of Philippians. Now, I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't, um, that means you don't have TBS at all. Because uh, <laughs> they play it like 10 times a week. But if you've not seen this movie, I mean, it basically is about the horrors of prison life. But it focuses in on the relationship of prisoners and kind of how they try to find freedom, even though they're kind of bound up inside of prison with one another. And there's a character that, <laughs> that touches my heart every single time I see the show. And there's an older character named Brooks. And he's a much older man who has spent all of his life in prison only to be paroled, like in his 70s or his 80s. 
And all he wants to do is to go back into prison so that he can be with his friends and so that he can um, celebrate. But no, they won't let him stay in prison. And uh, basically, the, the condition they said that he had was that he was institutionalized, right? And I think about that story a lot because a lot of times God's people are institutionalized, right? They've been set free by the power of the Lamb, by the blood that was slain. But instead of magnifying His story, we magnify our sin, we magnify our struggles, we magnify all of the ways that we fail with, you know, with self-hatred and failure and all of those things. And Jesus wants you to know this morning that this meal declares that you really are free. Right? That freedom has come to the people of God. This meal is for our freedom. So the truth is that we can face our sins and our struggles with real optimism and with real faith. Now, <laughs> scholars are a little bit divided on this point, but I want you to take the point for what it is. This meal had four cups of wine that would be enjoyed throughout the evening. Now, people want to debate, was this real wine or did they drink all the wine? It doesn't matter <laughs> at the end of the day. That's not the point of this. There were four cups of wine, and they all describe different aspects of the freedom that we are meant to enjoy through Jesus. Let's look at Exodus 6. They all come from Exodus 6. Exodus 6 says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel... I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the, of, of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So throughout... The night, they would enjoy four cups of wine and they would celebrate together. The first cup represents the cup of sanctification. And it's the truth that's communicated in Exodus 6 that I will bring you out. Don't miss the fact that Jesus is our sanctification. He's the one that brings us out of our slavery to sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he gives us new hope and new power. The second cup was I will free you. This is the cup of deliverance. Jesus is our deliverance. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The third cup is, I will redeem you. This is the cup of redemption. This is, this is the one that most scholars think that when Jesus was celebrating this meal, that he was saying, I will redeem you. Like he's looking his disciples in the eye. This was real. This was personal. And then the fourth cup, I will take you as my own people. This is the cup of restoration. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our deliverance. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our cup of restoration. He gives us a new story. And just on the, the, the fact of restoration, I just want to say this. Jesus loves not only to make broken things whole, he actually loves to restore the things that you've lost. Right? And so... Um, if this world were all that there simply were, I mean, we honestly would be getting the short end of the stick in some ways. But this story goes on into the future. Not only does this point to the new exodus, but it also points to a new creation. This is where this meal encourages us to fix our eyes. Revelation 21 verse 3 says this, 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This meal points us backwards to the salvation that we have experienced, but it also points us forward to this idea that God is making all things new. This cup of salvation and deliverance and sanctification is point us to the fact that there is a new kingdom that has come about through Jesus, and this is a kingdom that will never pass away. This is our true citizenship, right? It transcends every political party. It transcends every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. This is who we are truly meant to be. And as we celebrate this together, it celebrates our unity. Pete Hughes in his book, All Things New, says this. He says, we need to recover the practice of meditating on and anticipating heaven. Such a practice relieves pain and despair, reminding us that suffering and death are temporary. They are not the end, but simply a gateway into the wide open space. Such meditation isn't escapism, but preparation. I love that. And preparation for what's to come brings perspective and meaning to the present. And that's what this meal is for. The best parts of life become tiny foretastes of what we will feast on eternally. The worst parts, the wounds and regrets, create longing for wholeness. The longing becomes signposts for such healing and points us towards what is set before us. So this idea is that we come together, we look back, we look forward, and in the present we find hope. Because our story is bound up with his story. Our lives are bound up with his kingdom. So this meal has present implications as well. And this is where, if I could encourage us anywhere, it's in the fact that his mercy has an address. right? His mercy is meant for you. It is meant for you right now. It is meant for you with whatever you're walking through. That that future hope and what has happened in the past is meant to come together in this intersection of hope. Right? He doesn't want any of his people to walk around with their heads bowed down low. He wants them actually to receive in their very bodies his very presence and everything that this meal promises. So this is meant to speak to our fear and our worries and our anxiety and our disappointment and our shame and our guilt and our loneliness. And his death and his resurrection are meant to bring hope to all of those things. So this meal in the book of Mark is described as a covenant meal. A covenant is a promise that is signed, sealed, and delivered in blood. Right? This is God's unbreakable promise. This means that every single thing that he declares that will come to pass will come to pass. But then we're going to celebrate this meal together. This is a family meal. Um, you know, we're, we've got these elements out and 
they're kind of individually wrapped, and there's a reason for that. But the reality is we do this all together because this celebrates the fact and the idea that we're a family. If there is any place on the planet that everyone should find a place of belonging, it's here. Right? So we're going to celebrate today. We're going to come together today. Um, and my, my great prayer all, all week is that there would not be one person that would leave this room without a sense of understanding that they belong not just to God the Father, but they belong to us as brothers and sisters, that we are the family of God. Now, this is a meal where everyone is welcome to receive and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. It's a meal of togetherness that we belong to the Father, but also to each other. And I want to say this carefully, but um, I hope you understand that the early church didn't just have like a little cracker and juice when they did this, right? Um, that's been kind of something that's happened over time. I mean, this in the New Testament was known as, um, well, in early church history was known as the love feast. This is where people came around the table with glad and generous hearts, like the book of Acts says. I mean, <laughs> people weren't taking a little piece of cracker to, to represent Jesus' body. They were tearing off the loaf so that they knew what grace tasted like. They were lifting the cup, celebrating who Jesus was. They were toasting one another. I mean, that's why you've got people in you know Corinthians that were actually getting drunk. Uh, I don't know how many of those little things it would take you to get drunk, but it'd take a while. I mean, you know, so, I mean, the reality is this is meant to be a, a massive celebration for the people of God. Most of the New Testament, although there are times when people come together like this, most of the New Testament is lived out around the table. Their mission strategy was their homes and their table. So, Basically, in the New Testament, they didn't have the government to provide for the poor. You know how they cared for the poor? They welcomed them to the Lord's table, right? That's why the gospel spread like wildfire. So this is a meal that we're meant to celebrate. This is how the poor were cared for. So the Lord's table is about enjoying the generosity of God as our Father and living generously under His gaze with one another. I'm going to transition to a time of communion. I'm going to read this quote and then invite the band to come up. Philip Yancey says this. He says, This table is different. It isn't where sinners find Christ, but where sons and daughters celebrate being found. Maybe someday, instead of solemnly making our way to the table, we should dance for joy. Maybe we should sing every born-again song we know. Maybe we should tell our homecoming stories and laugh like people who no longer fear death. Maybe we should ask if anyone wants seconds and hold our little cups high to toast lost sinners found and dead brothers and sisters alive. Right? So, yeah, don't miss the point that there are not times for reflection. But today is not that day, brothers and sisters. Today is the day that we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has conquered the grave, that we are brothers and sisters, that God is our fathers, and we have every reason to rejoice. Right? All right. So you can go ahead and pull out your elements. We're going to, I'm going to speak the gospel to specific groups of people. We'll take all of these elements together, but I want you to hear it for your particular struggle. So think, think in your mind right now, where do I need victory and hope? So if fear 
is a constant battle. Hear this message around the table. His perfect love casts out your fear. So as you take the elements, receive his victory. If your struggle is shame, the Psalms tell us that those that trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. If you are struggling with a sense of belonging and you feel like you don't have a place in the world, this table is open for you. Receive this meal as an extension of the love of God the Father and receive in your very being the fact that all around you are brothers and sisters who want to be a part of your life and encourage you along the way. If you're struggling for faith, I would encourage you to look outside of your faith. Don't focus on your faith, but look to the author and the perfecter of our faith who gave himself up for us and loves us. So, brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. We're going to have a party here in a few moments, but receive this as the victory of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So we have your elements open. Receive his sinless body that was broken for you. Raise your cups high. Toast the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has brought salvation to his people. His blood forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. Receive his gifts. And now we're going to celebrate. You can stand up. You can dance.